I get started, um, a, a little bit of housekeeping for your homework. You, One of your things on your homework uh, in the looking ahead, so it's on just if you take all your notes and just flip them over to the back. It says, in preparation for Lesson 9, Prayer and the Disciplines, find and familiarize yourself with and pray through preparing to meet God in his word. And so if you're not sure where that is, it's in the resources section of your of your binder. And it's a full page, okay? Prayer and the disciplines. Just, if you haven't already, just look at it, pray through it several times, and then make a list from this of all the reasons why we must come prayerfully before the, word, the Lord. Another thing I'd like you to have ready is your God's transformation of man. If you have that, just pull that out. Okay, well, there's danger in presenting a lesson like this. Um, it's a danger of, of white noise. Um, in my home, I have a ring camera. Probably a lot of you have that too. And so whenever someone comes to the front door, right, that you hear the little chimes and our dog barks. And we used to get up every time and go look and see who it is. That was how we used to do it. The trouble is we have a feral cat, a couple of them in our neighborhood. And one of them likes to make the rounds and go into our front yard and then go. And every time that cat comes, the chimes ring, the dog barks, and we don't even get up and check anymore. I just figure it's that cat. Even in the night, I don't even go check. I just figure it's that cat, and I roll over, and I go back to sleep. <laughs> well, today we're going to be covering some familiar territory, okay? So we have to do this. We have to do this to lay the foundation for what comes next. So if you're well-versed in all of this, um, I just beg you not to roll over and go back to sleep, okay? <laughs> the opposite may occur. Okay, you, you come and you look at this, all these notes. There's a lot of them. You're going to go, what? Um, you may be overwhelmed already, and you may wish you could roll over and go back to sleep. <laughs> Don't do that either. Okay, we're going to walk through this all together, regardless. You've got the next month to just take your time and go through all those notes, all the quotes, all the questions. Take your time. Even go back and listen again if it's just like crazy and too much, okay? You've got some ponder, pause, pray questions you want to think about. And uh, there's a lot. I have to tell you, I've been sitting with this lesson for a, a few months now. And I have been, I told the ladies this morning, sitting in this lesson, I have been made aware of my need to shepherd my heart and just how quickly I can take a nosedive. And so I pray that this lesson is helpful to you too. So with that in mind, would you pray with me? Let's go to our Father. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for your word that instructs us so well. You care for our souls so well. I just pray that we'd be an attentive and alert this entire lesson, Lord, um, and that you would show each and every one of us through your word exactly what 
what we need to be better heart shepherders. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's begin with a thought exercise, okay? I'd like you to think of all the people. Okay, I know you all know a lot of people. Think of all all the people who have a, a, a significant influence in your life. Okay, now if all those people who are your influencers, we'll call them, you only can pick one. Okay, who is the one most influential person in your life? Okay, think about it. You might just want to write that down on your outline even. Who is it? Do you have that person? Okay, well, this is kind of a trick question because the answer is you. Okay, you are the most influential person in your life. If you look down, you have a quote here by Paul David Tripp. It says, You talk to yourself. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. People laugh at this statement, but I'm really quite serious. You are in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret, organize, and analyze what's going on inside and outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past. You talk to yourself about the future. And you talk to yourself about what you're experiencing in the present. Well, obviously, this is an internal conversation. But you know what? That's why it is so dangerous. You often don't realize you're saying things to yourself, but you are. You're saying things that will shape your desires, action, theology. No one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. Ladies, that's that's what we are here for. I have a question for you. What will you say to yourself today? Okay, what have you already said to yourself this morning? Right? Were were the conversations you had with yourself were they edifying? Were they good? Okay, on your outline, you have Ephesians 4.29, and I'll just read it to you. It says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to all who hear. And ladies, those who hear, well, that includes you, right? Okay, and because you are listening to your own internal conversations, let's think for a minute, friends. Will our conversations be wise or will they be foolish? It's going to be one or the other. Okay, Proverbs ten fourteen says, With the mouth of the foolish, ruin is at hand. Wow. And Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There's one who speaks rashly, Rashly, like thrusts of a sword. Can you imagine? But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So are your internal conversations foolish, bringing ruin? Or are they wise, bringing healing? We must be aware, friends. We must be aware. This is the nuts and bolts of what heart shepherding looks like on a practical level. But, you know, before we go anywhere, and I told you we've got to go 
and look at the basics we've got to review. So let's turn your binder over, please, and let's look at the purpose of Wellspring. The purpose. To equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Okay, question. We're being encouraged to do something. What is it? Come on. Right, shepherd our hearts. Okay, so shepherd, we're all familiar with that term by now. Okay, we can call it some other things. Maybe they'll resonate with you. We could call it counseling your heart. You could call it coaching your heart. I even like to think of it as parenting my heart. Because just as I wouldn't leave a child unattended, I should never leave my heart unattended. Okay, so the good news is, as Christians, ladies, we know we can do this, right? Because we're transformed. We know we must do it because we're in the mixed condition. There is a battle within. Now, this lesson carries no weight for the non-believer. It is a message for believers. So, if you've not trusted Jesus alone for your salvation, and devoted yourself wholeheartedly to his reign and his rule in your life, I beg you, don't leave today without talking to someone about it. Talk to your discussion group leader. Come find me. So my hope is that today's lesson will help those who are saved to live gospel-transformed lives. So let's look down at our notes at number two, Shepherding My Heart Gospel Review. And let's fill in the blank. I can shepherd my heart because I am regenerated. Okay, regenerated. And I must shepherd my heart because I am in a mixed condition. Mixed condition. I'd like you to think again of Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. We talked about that a minute ago. It says, but only such a word as is good for, do you remember? Good for edification. edification. That's right. According to the need of the moment. So that it will give grace to all who hear. Friends, if we're going to be wise women whose wise words bring edification, we must constantly be filling our mind with wise words, obviously, right? So let's remind ourselves of discipline one. The faithful woman of God shepherds our heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. So we shepherd or coach or parent or counsel our hearts away from someone who's that, ourselves very good and our own what what i mean by ourselves is our own selfish inclination to rule we want to rule right we want to shepherd ourselves away from that and we shepherd towards someone who jesus right and his rule over us and we shepherd with something that's right god's word the bible let's look again at discipline one what are the last two words the gospel. Thank you. See, I must counsel my heart with the gospel. This will make me a wise woman who has wise things to say to myself. 
And it will bring edification. Now, I've said that word three times. It means building up. It's another way to think of it. To myself, that's discipline one. And to others, that's discipline two and three, according to the need of the moment. So we build up or edify our hearts with the word of God, especially the gospel. And, ladies, because we're such forgetters, we've got to review the gospel often. Okay? So let's pull out, if you have it, your God's Transformation of Man folder and zippity doo real quick through this. We're going to re- rehearse our state before regeneration. Let's look at the left side, the unregenerate man. Now, it's important to remember before regeneration, ladies, there was no fight in us. A few key descriptions of the old unmixed condition, and you've got them here, key conditions, are, I'm just going to read a few of them, unable not to sin, no fight within against sin, or for Jesus, unable to shepherd your heart away from sin and toward God. Okay, Scott Maxwell, he has got got this wonderful example, and I love it so much, I asked him if I could use it. It's his analogy of what our life is like before salvation and then after salvation. He says it's helpful if you think of a person on a skateboard, okay? And before regeneration, we were that person on a skateboard, okay? But our road was not flat. Our road was going downhill all the way. Our path was down. We were going speeding along as fast as we could away from God. There was no fight within us. We did whatever would please our flesh. That's what we were like. Now, to remind ourselves what that is, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians 2. And let's look at what our lives were like. Ephesians 2, verse 1. Says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly walked in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But now come two of our favorite words, right? Verse 4, starting there. This is the regeneration event that's described here. It's accomplished by God for the believer. And we're declared righteous. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions, made us alive Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. So at regeneration, God picks us up, skateboard and all, and he turns our life around, and now we're completely new. We have completely new desires. The things that used to attract us, thankfully, repel us, right? Let's look and see what else God did at regeneration. Look at verse 6. He raised us up with him. 
And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come we might he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I love that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one may boast. Remember, ladies, at regeneration, one set of fingerprints. One. Whose? God's. Okay. That's called justification. It's God's work alone. After regeneration, two sets of fingerprints. Okay. God's and ours. That's called sanctification, and it's a lifelong growth in holiness. And if you look back at Ephesians 2, now in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. See, sanctification is God's work, but it's also our work as we faithfully pray, And as we renew our minds daily in his word and as we depend on him and we worship and we serve God. So one author says that once we have walked through that narrow gate that leads to life, we discover a life of service. So we can thank God that we can shepherd our hearts because now there is a fight in us. It doesn't mean it's easy, right? It does take discipline. And if you look at the regenerate man in the center of your pamphlet, a few key descriptions here, and I'm only going to say a few, we're in a mixed condition, meaning there's both residual sin, that's sad, but there's that process of progressive renewal, and that's wonderful. We're able not to sin, and we're able to please God, but there is a fight. There is that fight against sin and for Jesus. When we're born again, sin no longer rules us, but our own sinful nature wages fierce battle against us. It does, against our new selves. So ladies, we're on that skateboard, but now we're going uphill. We are, and because we're in a mixed condition, we'll go backwards if we back off or if we rest from the fight. So that's why we've got to be relentless, ladies, for the rest of our lives. And you know what? You've got to remember this, too, that God is relentlessly working in us and for us. So on your outline, you have the mixed mixed condition of the regenerate man requires four things. And it's on page two. God's relentless transformation of the believer. God's relentless transformation of the believer. The believer's diligent pursuit of holiness. Diligent. The believer's wariness. Wariness of indwelling sin. And finally, the believer's serious perseverance. Serious. Okay, so why are we spending time reviewing this? Why? Because we are in danger of forgetting that if we neglect to shepherd our hearts, our heart will take us away, no doubt. Why? 
Because until we get to heaven, ladies, there's that fight within. So mark this, left to itself, ladies, your heart is not trustworthy. It's not stable. It's not wise. It's not. That's why we must shepherd our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions to line up with the truth. Because we want to be powerful, sound-minded women of God. Second Timothy two, or Second Timothy one seven says, "For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind." What's a sound mind? Well, the idea is that it's a mind at ease, at peace. It's not perturbed. It's not harassed. It's not obsessed with fear or foreboding for the future. A sound mind is a mind that's disciplined, ladies. It's self-controlled. It's properly prioritized. Sound minds are minds that have been fed with the word of God. So let's fill in the blank on the bottom of page two. We must be in the habit of counseling ourselves with the word of God. That's discipline one, the word of God first. So that we are more impactful when counseling others with the word of God. And that's discipline two and three. John MacArthur says that as believers, everything that comes out of our mouths should be edifying it should build people up. That's our calling, ladies. Now, in order to do that as a way of life, well, you have to have the word of God sort of running around in your mind, don't you? All the time. And then you're available to draw on that um, in order to have conversations that are edifying. Now, throughout this lesson, we're going to stop and we'll have some what I call PPPs. Um, they're called Pause, Ponder, and Pray. Um, we'll read the first one together, but after that, you'll have to read the rest on your own. And when you get home, I'd like you to please read them all. And your homework is going to be to choose at least one question from each of these sets um, to prayerfully consider. And you'll want to pick the ones that are the most impactful to you right now in this stage of your life. And you get bonus points if you answer all of them. <laughs> so let's read together set one. Is there anything more I should do in order to be sufficiently able to preach the gospel to myself? If so, what is it? Ask yourself, can I really preach the gospel? Do I know what it is? So if you need help with that, you do have some resources in your notebook to check out, and I encourage you to go there if you need that help. Or this one, how wholesome, faith-driven, and Christ-centered are the conversations I have with myself every day? Or what do I tell myself that is wise, wholesome, and good, and brings edification? Or does my thought life reflect that I treasure God above all else? So be thinking of that. And because everything that everything flows from the heart, and any change, right? Because everything flows from the heart, so any change we make has to begin in our heart. Let's move on to section two on our outline. Okay, so, uh, it is actually section three. Shepherding my heart when my Bible is open. 
Number one, why must I do it? Well, we must remember that our heart was not designed to be its own authority, right? It was designed to have God's word be its own authority. And so let's fill in the blank. I read the, you probably can guess what you're going to write in there, (laughs) the word of God. I read the word of God to get to know the God of the word. We love to say that. So I read the word of God to get to know the God of the word so I can be a better, here's the key. Why do we read? What do we want to be better? We want to be better worshipers. You don't just want to get to know more stuff. You want to get to be a better worshiper of God, living under the authority of God. So I'll repeat that. I read the word of God to get to know the God of the word so that I can be a better worshiper of God living under the authority of God. Okay, scripture has an expectation, another on your outline here. Scripture has an expectation that we'll be women who care well for our souls, women who speak God's words to ourselves every day. God's words. And so ladies, our internal conversation begins even before we open the Bible every morning. So a really good habit to ask yourself is, okay, so why am I about to read the word? We do it automatically. Why are we about to read the word? When I taught school, we called this setting the purpose for reading and taking just a moment to stop and ask yourself to think about why you're doing this. It'll help you be more fully engaged And it'll help you, help prevent you from reading just to check off the box. And by the way, ask your kids before you read to them or with them. You know why we're reading this? Okay. So number two, how I must do it. Well, there's a lot we could write, but for today, let's write, I must come prayerfully. That's your first blank, prayerfully. And I must slow down. I must slow down. Have you ever read a whole passage of scripture and then realized, um, I have no idea what I just read? Yeah, we all have the tendency to zone out. We do. So what's the solution? Well, pray before you read. That's that fill in the blank. Pray before I read. And I ask the Holy Spirit to come and make his word real in my life. Pray as I read. Pray as I read, because it's the Holy Spirit who takes the Bible and applies it to us so that it really produces change in us and in our way of seeing God and in our way of treating each other. And then, I bet you guessed what you're going to put next. I pray after I read. I thank God for his word and I ask it to bear much fruit in my life. Now, we're going to spend a whole lesson on prayer next time, prayer and the disciplines. But for today, let's remind ourselves that it is important, ladies, to slow down and meditate on what you read. I know it's tough. I know because on the one hand, we're saying, read the Bible, read the whole Bible, read it every year, right? That's that's fast. And now I'm saying, slow down and meditate on what you're reading. Okay, so what is it? Yeah, it's both. 
Okay, you've got to slow down. You've got to meditate on what you read. You've got to. Um, it's like, I was thinking, it's like a map of the United States, okay? You've got to look at the whole map, and you've got to see where all those states fit together. And you've got to take time, and you've got to pick one, like a puzzle piece. All right, pick one and study it and see how that fits in with the whole rest of the states. You've got to do that. On top of that, okay, and on top of that, you've got to purposefully keep your mind active and engaged the whole time. Ah! Okay, so in order to help you, I thought, uh, what, what do I do? So I made a list of what I do. Um, I'm sure you have many other things probably better than I thought of. This is only a brief list, but let's, let's get started. But just remember, ladies, I want you to think of uh, gears, okay? Gears have to engage. You've got to engage your mind when you're reading. Your brain has to be turned on. Does that sound familiar, Alex? <laughs> brain turned on. Yeah. It also lessens the temptation just to read passively. Okay, we've got to get engaged. Mm -hmm. Now, I happen to be a very slow reader. I'm also not very observant. I'm not. Once I hung a whole, a whole wallpaper, and it was a month before I noticed one of the panels is upside down, <laughs> and I didn't notice it. So I'm not observant, okay? So this is what I do to help myself. First of all, location, 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 right? You pick the same spot, one that's going to be free from distractions, where you have all your supplies ready. That's one of my little helpful hints. The other one, to keep my mind from drifting, and we're on page four, just all those little bullet points. To keep my mind from drifting, I often, I do, I often have to read out loud. Okay, my husband and I started reading out loud to each other several years ago, and, and that really helps. Okay, here's another one that really helps me. Ask questions. Ask questions. You're always asking. Here's one that I love to ask us. I ask my husband and myself, okay, we're about to read this chapter. What do we already know about it? Or about this king or this person, this prophet. What do we already know? See, when you do that, you're, it makes you scan your memory banks to see, oh, I don't even remember anything about that. And we just had a sermon like two weeks ago. And then once you start reading, you'll go, oh, I, I do remember. And you'll make the connections. And it'll stick much better if you do that. Okay? Um, Remember, ladies, you're always in a conversation with yourself. Always ask yourself those questions. Now, when you're reading, especially um, stories in the Bible, um, make a movie. We call that making a movie in your mind. Okay, um, Try to visualize what's happening. And when the movie stops, you know you've stopped paying attention. Go back and rewind and start again. Have a journal handy. Um, write down discoveries about God so that you don't forget, okay? Um, you write down your prayers. Now, here's a very important thing. Don't leave the chapter or this section until you recap it, okay? You tell yourself, what was that about? So I read my Bible with a highlighter. Um, now I use my Bible app, and I can highlight and make all sorts of fun um, colors, and when I do this, it just takes a, a quick second, but when I do this, I notice things that a not-so-careful read of the Bible I'd miss. So then I look back 
at all the words that I've highlighted, all the phrases, and then I summarize to give myself a big picture, okay? So for instance, the other day I was reading Ezekiel 20. I finished that, I looked back and I highlighted, I looked back what I noticed, and I noticed these words or these phrases. I am the Lord, your God. But they rebelled against me. They were not willing to listen to me. But I acted for the sake of my name. I took, I gave, they rejected, they rebelled, their heart went after idols, etc., etc., So I remind myself, okay, I'm reading to become a better worshiper of God, to get to know him better, so I can live under his rule and authority. So what did I just learn about God? Just looking at that quick, 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 highlight, highlight. I can summarize, God is all-knowing. He knows every intention of every human heart. He knows what they worship. He's patient. He's faithful. He will do what is necessary to discipline his children. He also established a proper way for Israel to worship him and obey him. And he wanted to bless them. So ladies, this doesn't take long, but it's really super helpful. And the last thing is the Bible reading themes. You have that in your homework. I hope you tried it. Um, All you're going to do, again, it doesn't take long, but pick a theme and say, okay, I'm going to look for that in the next few months, this one thing about God. And it's really exciting to see how when you pick that theme and you're reading your scripture, you you notice it here and you notice it there and there and there. And it's just like the big map of the United States that helps you tie everything together. So the key takeaway is I must be fully engaged when my Bible is open because what I do when I interact with the word of God will have an effect on how I interact with myself and others throughout the day. And then you have your set of ponder, pause, pray. So let's move on. Section four, shepherding my heart throughout the day. Why must I do it? Well, again, there are many answers we could put, but for today, let's fill in the blank. If I don't shepherd my heart throughout the day, I will be in danger of drifting from the truth. Drifting. See, we are in danger of, this is not not nice to say, but it's true. We're in danger of forgetting who God is and forgetting who we are. It's true. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Now, you might be really familiar with this quote. A lot of people love to say this quote because it's so impactful. It comes from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Did you hear that? Okay. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's true. Because what we believe about God is crucial, ladies. It's the lens, okay? It's the lens through which we talk to ourselves, whether they're false or true. You know, it's like putting one drop of red food coloring in your water, okay? It changes everything. If we have wrong thinking about God, 
we're going to have wrong thinking about everything else. Okay, If we don't see God as he really is, we're going to start telling ourselves things about God that aren't true. And invariably, ladies, we'll have a distorted view about ourselves and about our circumstances. For instance, okay, if we think, if we've constructed in our minds God who isn't in control of every single detail of the universe down to the littlest leaf on a tree, okay, we're going to see ourselves as being helpless and we're going to be overwhelmed with the circumstances and the storms of life. So here are two questions I want you to think about. What must believers tell themselves about God when hard things happen? And how can they speak wise words that bring edification according to the need of the moment? Okay, what must we tell ourselves and how can we speak wise words? So let's talk about how we must do it. I want you to listen to a letter Zach Can wrote. He wrote this on 9-14-22, just five days after a 7.6 magnitude earthquake demolished his home and the one of the Mitchells. Okay, this is what he said. I want you to listen to his view of God. He said, like every other trial we have ever faced in our lives and ministries, this comes from Yahweh, the God who was and is and will be. He shook those mountains and made our houses fall. All the delays, and man, there are a lot of delays. All the delays and sufferings that are ahead of us were planned and brought by him. And God only does what is good. And he loves to use the weak things of the world to shame the quote-unquote wisdom of the wise. He's not scurrying around in heaven trying to make things somehow turn out for good. He is at peace and he is in complete control. Though we do not perceive his purpose in this, he has them. And he's working. Wow. Zach's letter gives us a wonderful example of how to shepherd our hearts throughout the day. He used, what did he do? Okay, he used God's word to tell his mind what to think and his emotions what to feel and his will what to want and his mouth what to say. And that's what we've got to do as well. Okay, we've got to use God's word to direct everything inside of us that, um, so that everything that comes out of us will be glorifying to God in accordance with his word. And that's the path for growing in godliness. And remember that skateboard? Ladies, we're laboring and we're diligently pursuing holiness. We've got to be aware and remember God is for us and he's helping us. But you know, you've also got to be aware of the dangers and the hazards of on the path that you're on, on that hill. And that's why you've got to shepherd your heart continually throughout the day. I grew up in cold country. Okay, I was born in Minnesota. We lived there. We moved to Edmonton, Alberta, 40 below, typically. And then we moved to Ontario, Canada. And uh, one of the dangers of living in cold country like that is the, the conditions of the road. So I want to talk about that for a minute. I can't help but think of it. Black 
ice. You may have heard it. They even have it here in the north. Um, it's what is it? It's a layer of thin ice, and it blends in with the dark asphalt. Okay, on the road, it looks black. You don't even see it. And that's why it wreaks such havoc. You don't even know it's there until it's too late. It's dangerous because drivers don't see it. Their tires can't grip it and their brakes can't work properly on it. And when drivers can't see it, they can't prepare themselves for driving over it and thus the potential loss of control. And that's exactly what happened to me. Okay, once I was a passenger in a car, a bunch of teenagers, you can just imagine, hey, yeah, and the driver hit black ice and he reacted improperly and spun out into the ditch and the car rolled over and we had those roll down windows at the time. We were able to roll them down and we were able to get out. We were upside down in the snowbank. And you know, that all happened so quickly, just like that. Well, thankfully, we were all okay. But you know, there are some safety measures that that driver should have known because we all learned it in driver's ed, okay? Everybody in Canada had to learn this. And so um, I wanted to use that analogy of what I learned in driver's ed all those years ago to help us with our own road that we're on. So there are three things. First, we're gonna be aware Second, we're going to slow down. Those are safety measures. Be aware, slow down, and respond properly. So on the outline, the first safety measure is be aware of the road conditions. In other words, lady, got, ladies, you have to know the condition of your heart. And you have to know your environmental conditions. Okay, you've got to know, okay, I'm a little sick now. I'm going to react a little differently, be aware, or I haven't had much sleep, or it's that time of month, and so I've got to be aware. This is where you remind yourself you are in a potentially dangerous place if you don't respond properly. You've got to be aware. Because you're in the mixed condition, you're going to be tempted to doubt God, and you're going to be tempted to forget how dependent you are on him. The second safety measure is to slow down when icy roads are imminent or in progress, or you won't even be aware that you're about to go into a slide. Slow down. Here's where you, and it's on the outline, take inventory to see if what you're saying about yourself or to yourself about a certain condition is true. Now we looked at this in homework. It's a really good one to memorize. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, there's anything, any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. See, one author says, When we are struggling with distracting, demanding thoughts and emotions, God is telling us, through Philippians 4, 8, we're not helpless victims who must simply, oh, I got to endure this miserable ride, you know, on the train of your thoughts. You're not helpless. Okay. He's showing us how to seize control. He's given us, he's given us control. We can switch tracks. 
we can head in the faithful, joyful direction by thinking about these things. And then the third safety measure is respond appropriately to the slides. Don't panic. Okay, our instincts are going to want to hit those brakes and overcorrect our steering. Don't do that. Did you know you're actually supposed to turn into the slide? Seems counterintuitive, but you're also supposed to do that. You just focus where you want to go. That's all. Continuing on, Philippians 4, let's look at verse 9 if you're there. If not, I'll just read it. The things you have learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, it's one thing to dwell on it and think about it, but you've also got to practice it, right? Mm -hmm. you got to practice it. So here's where you turn away from yourself, and I have that on your outline, and you steer toward Christ. You just turn away from yourself. You steer where you want to go, toward Christ. And he always is inviting you to come to his throne of grace and confidence (laughs) to find the help that you need. So one author put it like this. We can look to God's word and ask, is what I'm choosing to think about and the way I'm choosing to think about it, is that in line with moral excellence? Is that in line with God's approval right now? The next part I want to talk about is a gift to us from Tom and Ann Angstead, and they have used this in many a counseling session. They've come and taught it at Wellspring and Build for many, many years, and it's listening to myself, my thoughts, my reasonings, and you have it here. It's that spiral, so rifle through your notes here. And you'll find them. They've developed these spirals because they've seen a dangerous pattern develop of thinking where a good desire, a moral desire, changes. It morphs. And it quickly changes into thinking, I deserve, and then I demand. So just like that black ice, you may be in a slide headed for a crash before you even know it. So let's study this, okay, so we can make the proper course corrections before we lose control. So if you look down at the spiral, you'll see it begins with the color green, and it ends with the red right there. And you'll notice the equation right here on the bottom, I desire plus I deserve equals I demand. Now look at the left side. You see the attitudes there. Those are the attitudes that are welling up inside you because of what you're telling yourself about a given situation. And then you see on the right side, you see the actions. These are things that are going to manifest on the outside of you as a result of your actions, of your attitudes, okay? So let's focus on that equation. I desire plus I deserve equals I demand. And let's start with desires. Now, we all know what a desire is, right? A desire is you just hope or you long for something. Now, I'm not talking about sinful desires, okay, like coveting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about desires that are in and of themselves not bad things. A clean house is not a bad thing. Promotion at work or good grades or quiet neighbors or obedient children or safe family members or a decent income or restored relationships or even a good night's sleep. 
that's not a bad desire, but what happens? It quickly can morph into a sinful desire. How? Well, here, here's how. If we allow our disappointment to become discouragement and then finally despair if things don't go as planned or hoped for, okay, let's realize again, it's not wrong to have unfulfilled longings or desires. It's not wrong. Okay, but we've got to learn to accept those longings and accept those desires. We've got to surrender them to God and we've got to look to him to meet our deepest needs of our hearts. If we don't, you know what's going to happen? These unmet desires will quickly, and ladies, I mean quickly, lead us into feeling discouraged and finally despairing In other words, hopeless or unhappy or super stressed out. Okay, so what's the remedy? Well, think of your safety measures, okay? First of all, be aware. Ladies, we've got to remember, in our mixed condition, sin will always be an issue. It just will be, okay? It's our sinful nature to take a good desire and turn it into a demand. It just is. So first of all, ladies, don't be surprised if initially you respond that way. Don't freak out, okay? It's, it, we just can't let ourselves keep responding that way. Stop it. Okay, cut it out like you tell your kids. <laughs> Secondly, here's what we should do. We should be aware of how quickly this can happen. You know, my actions, my actions tattle on me. They speak volumes about what holds first place in my heart. A good desire can quickly become an idol. Yes, I said an idol if I am willing to harbor a sinful attitude. So let's be aware. Let's do an idol check, okay? So first of all, we got to know what's an idol Well, an idol is anything I want more than God. And I believe I've written that on your outline. Um, Anything I rely on more than God. And anything I look to for greater fulfillment than God. In his book, The Greener Grass Conspiracy, I highly recommend it. Stephen L. Troji writes, Idols are terrible masters. They demand our love, thoughts, affections, time, dreams, and desires. Here's the thing, ladies. They never satisfy. They never deliver as promised. Idols always leave us in a dizzy state of discontentment. A state of dizzy discontentment. So let's slow down. Ladies, don't just let those thoughts flood your mind and swirl around there. They could be swirling around for a long time before you realize it. Pay attention. Address them. Don't ignore the warning signs. Well, how do you know what warning signs to look for? Okay, well, they're on your outline here. I'm on black ice when I'm crushed if I don't get what I want. If I stake my happiness on getting what I want. If I grumble and complain when I don't have what I want and I demand what I want. 
okay, what should I do? Well, I should slow down and I should make a list. Okay, take inventory. Why am I, and fill in the blank. Okay, maybe I'm unhappy with my home, for instance. You know, I used to love my home and now I'm going around grumbling and complaining and everything about it bugs me and it makes me in a really bad mood. Okay, that's wrong. So I take inventory and I think, what on earth? What have I been doing? Ah, yeah. I've been watching way too much HGTV or going on Pinterest or going on the web and looking at homes for sale and seeing all those staged homes. That's dumb. Stop it. Okay, maybe I'm coveting someone else's lifestyle. Okay, so I take inventory and I go, oh man, I've been looking at all their stuff on social media and everybody only puts the good stuff, right? So I got to stop it. Maybe I'm irritable. Hmm. And my inventory shows me, oh man, I've been so self-indulgent. Okay, I've been eating way too much junk food, okay? I've been consuming way too much entertainment and also maybe even watching way too much news. That'll make it irritable. Okay, so how do you respond? Slow down immediately. Immediately respond. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Repent. Here's what I had to do just the other day. I had to tell God, I know you said I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't say this, but I wanted to. I did. So what did I do? I dethroned you, God. I pulled you off the throne and I put myself on it. Dig into scripture. Okay. Turn off your stuff. Put away, put it away. Go outside, get some fresh air, put on praise music. Okay. Next on the spiral, we're going down. This is the biggest pitfall because it's easy to spiral into I deserve. You, you know, you're not maybe saying those exact words. I deserve. Okay. Probably you're not saying those words. But in some way, shape, or form, you're thinking those words, ladies. <laughs> it's when you think that God or your spouse or your friend or your children owe you something, okay? You're saying to yourself, I've done all this. Now, these are all personal examples, guys. You're seeing my heart. I've done all this. Now I deserve that. Or I've worked hard on this meal or choosing this gift or whatever. Can't they even show a little appreciation? Or our family has gone through a really hard time I think we deserve a little break right about now. So let's talk about our safety measures to stop that downward spiral. We gotta be aware, I deserve is a big hazard, okay? You know that we're swimming in this culture of I deserve, you know that. The word, the world feeds us this all the time. To commercials, you've all heard them. You deserve uh, uh, no back pain. You deserve a new carpet. You deserve a new car. You deserve hassle-free shopping, whatever. Fill in the blank, okay? We get fed that garbage every day. Okay, remember, ladies, in our mixed condition, our hearts are prone to forget and prone to deceive. So 
you've got to remind yourself, listen, biblical contentment. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Biblical contentment is not rooted in our circumstances. It's not. It's rooted in the infinitely stronger foundation of God himself. We've got to respond. You've got to take inventory of your heart. You've got to ask, okay, let's have a sit down, self. Do I really believe if I have God, I have enough? Or is it more like, yeah, I do need God, but I need him plus good friends. I need him plus good health. I need him plus a husband. Or I need him plus a better husband. I need him plus children. Or I need him plus a job that pays enough. And you fill in the blanks. Do you really, really believe God is enough? Or do you find yourself turning to other things like food or alcohol or shopping or friends or hobbies or vacations or family to fill in the blanks of your heart? See, left unchecked, you could easily, and I mean easily, allow yourself to begin coveting someone else's things or what someone else has. And you could see your really good desire change into thinking that you deserve these things. And you're going to be tempted to look around and see someone else has those things. Okay, and you may become jealous, coveting their lifestyle or their talents or their abilities instead of being grateful for what you have. This is the death spiral, ladies. And the good news is you can stop it, okay, because you are in Christ. Okay, so we're moving on to the I demand territory. And to see if you're in this spiral, all you have to do is look at the actions on the right side. And some of these are blatant red flags like criticizing or returning evil for good or stuff like that. But what about the subtler sins like withdrawing? For example, if you think you need me time or alone time, and so you don't want to go to small group tonight, okay? Or you want to just get in and out of church as quickly as you can so you don't have to talk to anybody because you just don't want to talk to anybody. What about loving yourself? This could manifest itself in overspending or binge watching or withdrawing or acting out of selfish motives. Another red flag is boasting out of self-protection. Or a red flag is grumbling or complaining. Think about that. Have you grumbled or complained lately? Or indulged in a sharp tongue or a critical spirit? See, again, in our mixed condition, ladies, our heart is going to fool us into thinking, it's not that bad. It's um, a weakness. It's a struggle. It's a personality trait. Okay? But we've got to take our safety measures. We've got to be aware. First, you've got to know these are sins. Remember, ladies, it's not about what you feel about them. It's about what God says about them. That's true. And the way you see truth about God and about sin is that you need to know who God is and by who he says he is. And the only way to do that is by focusing time in his word 
learning about his character. And only then will you become acutely aware of the hideousness of sin. You've got to remind yourself, every single sin is in fact an act of rebellion. It is. Every time we choose our way instead of God's way, we're trying to dethrone God, pull him off and put us on that throne. Okay, we've got to realize, secondly, that sin loves to hide. It loves to make itself at home in us so it doesn't appear that bad, that out of the ordinary. And thirdly, you've got to understand what's really happening when you're becoming demanding is you are reducing God to a cosmic genie. Give, give, give me God, give me God, give me God. He's there. He exists just to please me and to serve me got to be aware. This lie sets itself up for disillusionment and disappointment with God. You know, we might actually start feeding ourselves the lie that any problem that haven't that hasn't been fixed is because God doesn't care about us. That's a lie. You're as as susceptible as I am to believing that sometimes. Slow down, ladies. Understand that if not dealt with swiftly, this line of of thinking can easily fool us into believing that the goal in life is to be free from problems. That's not the goal. Your goal in life is not to get rid of every unpleasant thing or difficult thing. Remember, we live in that culture of I deserve, so don't believe it, but slow down enough to see if you're believing it somehow. The truth is that every circumstance, every difficult person should be viewed as an instructor from God in the school of contentment. That's the truth. Did you hear that? We've got to learn to be content. You've got to learn it. That does not come naturally. You've got to repent. See, all these attitudes here on this left-hand side of the spiral, they are sinful, all of these. And Stephen L. Troji says that sin necessitates an internal search and destroy mission. And you know, as Christians, these attitudes and actions, they no longer characterize our lives. But you know they won't be completely eradicated until you reach to heaven. Until you reach heaven, there's still going to be that fight and that tendency toward this kind of behavior as we persevere up that hill. And then there's going to be a tendency for us to swirl in that vicious cycle. So we've got to watch it. Okay. Have you ever played a game with a four-year-old and they've lost? And you can see just how quickly they swirl down. Okay. Well, we can act like four-year-olds, ladies. Okay. We've got to ask ourselves this question. Okay. When you're struggling or say you're struggling with binge shopping or binge watching or anxiety or whatever. Say, is there something I'm disappointed in that I'm not getting right now? Okay. What is that? Remember that downward spiral? It starts with disappointment. So that's the place where you want to start. Okay, we're going to look at an example of an Old Testament grumbler. Okay, we're going to look at Jonah. He was called to preach repentance to Nineveh. You all know the story. Okay, finally he obeyed and he preached 
to the people of Nineveh. Well, he really only said eight words, but they, they believed and they repented. Even the king repented. And Jonah 3.10 says, when God saw their deeds, they turned from their wicked way. And then God relented concerning the calamity that he declared he would bring on them. And he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And so there he was, lady sulking in his little shelter, wishing he were dead. And then he realized, oh, there's a wonderful plant growing up around him. And suddenly, you know, the heat of the day was eased by that plant's shadow. And how did he feel then? Happy. But then God appointed a what? A worm. And that started eating up the, the, the plant. And then Jonah was angry. And then he wanted to die. And God confronted him about this, okay, twice. In Jonah 4, 4 and 4, 9. What did he want Jonah to see? He wanted him to see that it was not his circumstances that were actually causing his depression. It was what? It was his angry response. To God's sovereign choices. You know, you can just see Jonah's reactions on these attitudes side. If you look down at these attitudes, what were some of his actions? Do you see it? Look down at the attitudes. Do you see? Shout out some of his his attitudes. Like prideful? Bitter, ungrateful. ungrateful. He was hopeless. That's right. He was hopeless. He was angry. He was without peace. He was all these things. Now look at the actions on the right side. What were they? He was demanding. God, do this. What else? He was grumbling. Was he withdrawing? He was. And you know what? He wasn't even asking God. God had to come to him. Okay? Ladies, in our lives, we are going to encounter both God-appointed plants. Yay! (laughs) They're going to make us feel comfortable and happy. And those God-appointed worms. They're going to remove comfort from our lives. And the very best thing we can tell ourselves is, okay, we know we're not held in the grip of some fatalistic force, right? We know that our Heavenly Father is ordering everything so that he might achieve his ultimate purpose. And what's that? What is his ultimate purpose? Think of Romans 8, 28 and 29. His ultimate purpose is to make us more conformed to his son. That's his purpose. So consider, ladies, where are your plants and where are your worms? And ask yourself, are you able to give thanks to God for both of them? Knowing that both of them are given to you by a loving father for your eternal good. See, Jonah, he was listening to the lies he was telling himself about God and his goodness and his compassion. And just like Jonah, we can be swept away in that downward spiral. We can, unless we stop telling ourselves these lies and start telling ourselves the truth. 
Josh Kelso says, fight what you know, or fight what you feel, sorry. Fight what you feel with what you know. Okay, fight, ladies, fight. That's the only way to get off of that spiral. We've got to yield our rights to the one who holds all the rights. Okay, each time, each new offense, each new struggle, you've got to yield. So then you've got your set three, ponder, pause, pray. And very quickly, we're going to talk about shepherding my heart, my thoughts, my reasoning, the upward spiral. Okay, this we're not going to spend much time on. But the big thing that I want you to know is that we've always got to be on guard that a good desire can become a demand. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you stop and you think. Okay, remember what we talked about way in the beginning, our mixed condition. We were bound downhill. We're going as far away from God as we could. What did God do? Picked us up, skateboard and all, and put us in a new path with new desires. He gave us a new heart. What did we deserve? Hell. We deserved hell, and we don't get it. So anything else, as Tom Angstead says, is a good day. That's it. And then no matter how long your pain, your suffering lasts that you're going through, remember this side. Remember our future state. Heaven is forever. So even if you're going through something, and I know some of you are going through some very hard, long-lasting trials, Thankfully, we can shepherd our hearts there also. It's not, it doesn't last forever. And God is giving this to us for our good. So you know who's the very best heart shepherder we know is King David. King David. So let's stop and look at um, Psalm 42. And Psalm 42, we're going to witness David talking to himself. Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6 says, Why? David says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Oh my, oh God, my soul is in despair within me. And then he's he's saying this in verse 6, and then he's doing something. And if you have a highlight or highlight this word, remember. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Jump down to verse 11. He says it again. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance. I want you to notice something. Notice how being in turmoil goes hand in hand with remembering. Okay? And what does remembering lead to? Hope. That's the right way to get on the upward spiral. Okay? God isn't saying, okay, pretend like all this chaotic, messy stuff in this world doesn't exist. He's not saying that. Actually, they do exist, right? We do live in a broken, 
fallen world. There's labor, there's hardship, there's pain, there's toil, turmoil. But you know what? In the midst of it, if we lift up our eyes to him and we give him thanks and we park on, we camp on, we counsel our hearts, we fix our minds and our hearts on his character and on his goodness and on his steadfast love, you know what? Everything else is going to look different. It will. You see, it's not going to go away and poof, but it's going to look different. Okay? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to conclude with this. No one is more influential than your life than you are because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. So ladies, what are you going to say to yourself today? A very good place to start is hope in God. Well, we have... I've. Carol over here, who is from um, Saturday Wellspring with me, and we were chatting, and we were saying we thought that a really great way to end today would just be to sing, to sing to our sweet Savior and Lord a Christmas song. So that's how we're going to end, and then we're going to dismiss to our discussion group.